Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Chapter 34 of the Book of Job. Bayan Elihu Vayomari. Elihu responds and says. This is Elihu's second set of arguments to Eov. In chapter 33, Elihu spoke directly to Eov and said that God communicates to man about man's sins through visions and premonitions. And if those don't suffice to allow man to sort of get it back on the right track, then God works through physical um, pressure, shall we say. The goal is to make man repent, and in fact, God offers multiple chances, so says Elihu, for man's sake, in order for man to fix his ways. In this chapter, most of Elihu's speech is directed at an audience of wise men, that is, really to us, to his readers, I suppose. And in this chapter, Elihu will be much rougher with Eov, since there's no question that he agrees with the companions that if Eov is suffering, he must have sinned, even though he disagrees about God's purpose of bringing the punishments. That is, for him, the punishments are, edu- are educative rather than punitive. Fortunately, as we will see, it will be easy to tell which part of Eov's speeches Elihu will claim uh, are wrong, Elihu will object to, although it will be a little bit more difficult to understand exactly how Elihu objects to them, how he comes to the conclusion that, that Eov is completely wrong. Anyway, continuing on with the chapter. Listen, O wise men, to my words, O you who know, lend me your ear. Because the ear, meaning a, a worthy ear, understands these words. Uh, meaning the words that I'm about to say, Elihu was about to say, and the, like the palate tastes food, which means that the words will satisfy your intelligence in much the same way that good food satisfies one's palate. This is a direct quote of Eov in chapter 12, verse 11, which Eov said, this, essentially the same words, to present his own assertions there. So, in order, now that we see that Elihu is making a direct quote of what Eov said in chapter 12, then we know that Elihu will be responding to the things that Eov said there. So what we need to do now is, is review chapter 12. Eov stated there sarcastically, very mockingly, to his audience, to the three companions, that yes, he understood everything that they have been saying, and in fact, who doesn't understand what they're saying, and what is it that is so obvious that they're saying, uh, specifically that God rules the world and everyone in it. The problem, says Eov, is that because God has unchecked power, it makes him destructive to the point that nobody can uh, fix what he destroys. He jails people without any chance for, for parole. He holds back water and exiles nations. He makes fools out of rulers and lead them into captivity. He causes them to lose wars suddenly. He pours out scorn on princes and looses the straps, meaning the, you know, the control and the military might of conquerors. He removes intelligence from leaders. The central point is that God plays with nations. He toys with nations and their leaders. He overturns them, according to Eov, simply because he can, because there's no one there to stop him. To this issue of God's supposed capriciousness, uh, against the world's nations and the world's leaders, to this Elihu will respond. But first, Elihu will, re- will, res- will respond to a different idea that Eov said, not that he said in chapter 12, but because one of the things that Eov stated in chapter 12 will give 
Eliu the tools that he needs to refute what Eob said. And what was it that Eob said? Eob said that God has acted unjustly against him, that every punishment is completely uh, a lack of justice, therefore God is unjust. There's something that Eov also said in chapter 12, which now Elihu will use against him. Mishpat nibchara lanu matov. So again, what we could see, we see that before each of these two uh, arguments, the first one about whether God works justly and the second one about whether God interferes capriciously against the nations, each one is introduced with a header which um, calls where Eliu calls for his audience to listen. And that's what we're hearing here. Let us select or identify what is justice, meaning let's see if God is just, or as Eov would have it, let's see if God is not just. Let us among ourselves understand what is good. And that means good with a capital G. That is what is the right way and whether God does it. And now Elihu will review Eov's accusations before his wise audience, which, as I said, seems to be us, the readers. Ki amar Eov tzadakti, ve'el hesir mishpati, because Eov said, quote, I am in the right, and God has taken my justice away. Still quoting Eov, al mishpati achazev anush chitzi believe fasha. I deny that what I received is just, what I received is like deadly arrows shat at me for no transgression. This is a reference to Eov's first response to Eliphaz, ki chitzei shadai imadi, the arrows of shadai are in me. But refuting Eov's claims, Elihu will begin by taking a poke before he actually gets to the, to the main body of the claim and his refutation of it, he's going to poke at Eov and Eov's overall approach. Is there a man like Eov who drinks scorn or who drinks mockery like water? Now, since since Elihu said he was sympathetic to Eov in the last chapter, one might think that he is speaking sympathetically here, that he's saying who is like Eov who was forced to swallow like water the mockery of others. But that's not really what's going on here, because first of all, the entire framework of this response by Eliu is based on chapter 12, and in fact, in chapter 12, it was Eov who was mocking and scorning his companions. I think Eliu is actually siding with the companions here regarding Eov's demeanor. Um, if you remember, Eliphaz in his second speech said that man is is so below God and Eov included, that he is shotek kamayim avla, he drinks sins like water. Which means the metaphor of drinking does not mean that a person is forced to drink, but it means that somebody imbibes and imbibes, that is, the, the sinner is the one doing the drinking. Therefore, I think it's quite clear that when he says there's no one like Eov who drinks mockery like water, it means anyone like we saw in chapter 12 where Eov was um, mocking and mocking and was sarcastic to say the least. He has let his ways merge with evildoers, that is, Eov has. And he, Eov, follows after wicked people. And in what way has Eov attached himself to wicked people, to sinners? Because Eov has said that man gets no benefit by running after God, or perhaps in trying to find favor in God, or by, by trying to find favor from God. Now, Eov never actually said these words. This is not a direct quote. 
But it is a quote of Eliphaz, who in chapter two, 22 told Eliav in the same words, Haskein na imo ushlam, let God be a benefit to you and be at peace. So since Eov rejects Eliphaz's suggestion, Eli, who was saying that Eov might as well have said lo yiskon, instead of haskein, he said lo yiskon, which means there is no benefit and therefore I'm not going to do it. Anyway, returning his focus to us, the, to his addressees, he says, Therefore, O men of discernment, listen to me. It is profanity that it is impossible to say that God does evil. It is impossible to say that Shaddai works in wicked ways. The first issue is a personal one, this argument, whether God could possibly have been unjust in his personal treatment of Eov, in that one-in-one treatment of him. And the reason uh, why it connects with chapter 12, which really doesn't talk about personal issues at all, it really only talks about how God involves himself, according to Eov, capriciously regarding kingdoms and kings and the world at large, is because there Eov made a very interesting claim. He said that he knew the following, Asher biadon nefesh kol chai v'ruach kol b'sar ish. All life is in God's hands. But while Eov meant it mockingly and meant it sort of nihilistically by saying that because God has total control of human beings, what's to stop him from doing whatever he wants, regardless of whether it's just, Eliu uses the same ideas, he uses Eov's own words to, to, to claim, where Eov claims that God is unjust because he has control over life, Eliu will say, actually God is just, which is proven by the fact that he has control over all life. But first he must reaffirm, Elihu must, must reaffirm the following things. Indeed, God pays back man based on his actions and based on man's ways, God presents it. That is, he presents him the correct consequences, whether they're good or bad. But it's always measure for measure. It's always fair and just. Mida keneged mida. Moreover, God would never cause someone to be wrongly accused or really wrongly convicted or vilified, and Shaddai would never pervert justice. So far, all of these assertions are presented as axioms, but where's the proof? How do we know that God would never pervert justice? So I think the answer is in the coming verses, 13 to 15, and I think they are based, as I mentioned, on Eov's own assertion that he made in chapter 22, chapter 12. Mi fakad alav arzo mi sam table kula. Who appointed him over the land? Who established the, the entire habitable world? Meaning God, that's a rhetorical question. Obviously the answer is no one. God is in control of, of everything and always has been. And what that means is God is in charge of creating the world as well as sustaining all life on it. If he, God, sets his mind to it, meaning sets his mind to what he can do to man, his, that is man's breath, and his spirit will be gathered to him, which means if God wanted to, or stop wanting the world to continue, then everybody would die Im- immediately. Everybody would simply cease breathing. Then, all flesh would die at once, and man would return to the dust. And I think what the logic is here is that it's impossible to say that God twists justice because if God wasn't interested in justice, in the rule of law, in measure for measure, in righteous consequence, then God could simply just take 
man and return him back to the dust which he, God, created him from based on the story in Genesis chapter 2. That is, since our every breath, our very lives are only maintained thanks to God's conscious efforts, to his conscious will, then how can one argue that God is not working justly? Perhaps what, he, what Eliu is saying is since God sustains the characters in this little play we call life on earth, then whatever plot affects these characters are just by definition because God is the one who sustains everything. Um, I think I'd better stop there because if I push my assessment of what Eliu is saying, I'll be falling into the trap that Rabbi Liebteg warned me not to fall into, which is to teach my own views of what Eov and his characters are saying rather than what they're actually saying. So I'll stop my evaluation of the first argument here. Um, however, this is a very good time to repeat uh, what the great modern biblical commentator Amos Chacham said about Elihu's speeches specifically in this chapter. The language is, he said the language is so difficult that it allows commentators to come up with wildly divergent conclusions re- regarding Elihu. And I would like to add, perhaps my own slightly cynical assertion, that it allows commentators to really impose, superimpose their own points of view on Elihu by translating the test the, the text, well, if I want to be polite, I would say less than objectively, and if I wanted to be less polite, I would say by translating completely dishonestly in order to satisfy their own uh, translation goals, their own commentary, and their own philosophies. And I don't want to do that. Unfortunately, this chapter is so difficult, I'm really just taking a guess at what um, ultimately Elihu is trying to say and in what way it's different than what the friend said before. Anyway, getting back to the chapter, um, we have a second call now to his wise audience, which means we are introducing a second argument against Eov's assertions. Um, the argument about whether how God involves himself in the world capriciously, which means unjustly, or not. If you'll be wise, you'll listen to this. Okay, I'm, I'm quoting a bit from Willy Wonka's Oompa Loompas, but it actually matches the text pretty well. Lend ear to the sound of my words. Would one who, who hates justice take up rulership? That is, would God essentially continue being God and being the ruler if he had no interest or worse, if he, if he hated justice? Would, would you vilify the one of whom righteousness is so vast? That is, how can we take a tzaddik kabir, someone who, who is the very definition of being righteous, and say that he is a villain? Um, the word chavosh, by the way, here means to wear, to dress. Specifically, it means to wear the mantle of authority. So the verb yachavosh means to take uh, rulership, to, to rule. Ha'amor lemelech belial rasha el nevim. Does one call a king a villain? Does one call princes evil? Now, at first glance, what Elihu's argument seems to be is that if one that if one wouldn't dare to insult a flesh and blood ruler, then how could one? And like Eov is doing, possibly dare to accuse the ultimate ruler of the universe in such a way. But I, I don't think that's the argument, based on what we're about to read in the next few verses, and let's read them, and then maybe we'll see if the, a different argument coalesces. <laughs> Referring back to the aforementioned rulers, 
ruler who is clearly God. He is the one who never gave preference to princes, who never recognized the powerful before the poor, because all of them, meaning both the poor and the powerful, are the works of his hands, which means he doesn't treat anybody differently. He treats nations and governments and, and, and kings the same way he treats, um, the same way he treats uh, the poor and the individual. Moreover, there's a hint at what these nations who are going to be overthrown by God are doing wrong in that he, God, treats everybody fairly, but it's unlikely that nations and kings do as well. Or as Orwell said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, especially in the treatment of your subjects. Now, all of what is to come now is in agreement with Eov. That is, he agrees that death, destructions, and coups all come in an instant. But all of that is now framed in the, in the fact that God sees everything and acts justly against those rulers. He treats those rulers no differently than he treats the weak and the poor, which means he treats everybody, whether they're individual and poor, whether they're rulers of, uh, of great nations, according to the justice based on how those rulers behave. Rega yamutu laila yigoashu, in an instant they may die, meaning the officers, the powerful, in the middle of the night or at midnight, a nation will be shaken and they will pass through and the mighty will be removed as if, no, as if by no hand. And what that means is they'll be removed without, without visible warning, without visible cause, God acts without nations fully being able to understand what's even happening to them. The government topples and the people that it controls, their lives are changed forever. Um, it seems very hard to ignore what Elihu is hinting at here with the word Chatzot Laila and the nation which passes through. Um, it seems clear that he's referring to the Jews of the Exodus from Egypt who passed through the Red Sea and the middle of the night all of a sudden the greatest rulers were brought down um, uh, to a low miserable state. Whether that means that Elihu is, and again we spoke about his Jewish aspect and whether he's speaking to the to kind of the Jewish reader of this book rather than to the universal reader of the book and trying to explain why the Jews in exile can be saved much like they were saved in Egypt, well, that I'll leave for speculation because none of that is here in the text. Indeed, his, God's eyes are on the behavior of man and he sees their every step. And what that means is not only man, but nations, rulers, governments. There is neither darkness nor gloom for evildoers to hide in. Now, Eov had a dispute with Eliphaz whether man can hide his wickedness from God. Eliphaz said no, and Eov said that there are certain criminals that they hide all the time in the darkness, so they're never punished, they never get their, their just punishments. Now, while Elihu may simply be agreeing with Eliphaz that there's no such thing as darkness and there's no such thing as shadow where man can really hide, considering the fact that this argument is all framed around national and governmental aspects, um, I think Elihu was saying essentially that rulers who are corrupt um, even if they try to do it, uh, you know, in the darkness of kangaroo courts or what have you, they will be wiped out instantly because they cannot hide their travesties of justice from God's true justice. Um, this is a very difficult verse for the two reasons. First of all, it's unclear what the word ode is referring to. He doesn't place more on people. 
It's a difficult verse. Also, Eov, up to now, as I meant, as I've been sort of pounding home, has been discussing God's retribution against corrupt governments and leaders. And this verse seems to just be returning to, returning to the idea that, uh, you know, whether a man could get a, uh, a trial from God, whether God works that way or whether he works in different ways. So to make it fit into the flow of the, the verses, even though, it, you know, I can't do a great job at it, I'll try the following translation. Because man cannot buy for himself owed extra time until he is brought to justice before God. Perhaps, perhaps this means, referring to the governments, that there's no possibility to, uh, for a king or government to request a stay of a God's sentencing or to ask for some kind of legal recess. Whatever these rulers deserve is what they get and what they get is immediately, and when they get it is immediately. And now we return the next verse, which, which definitely is more clearly to the issue of rulers. He breaks the powerful without limits, that is, uh, probably quantitatively and qualitatively, he completely wipes them out, and he erects others in their place. Therefore, because nothing can be hidden from God, he sees everything they do, and because night and, and before night is done, they are crushed. He strikes the wicked from the from underneath them, that he's like pulling the rug out from underneath them in a place where everyone can see. And why does he do this to rulers and to nations? Not for capricious reasons at all, but for the following reasons. Because they abandoned him, they abandoned God, and they did not wise up to his ways. And finally, we find out a specific wickedness that these rulers were oft doing. They, the rulers, caused to be brought to him, that is to God, the cries of the poor and the cries of the needy he heard. Or perhaps their sins are uh, caused the cries of the poor to be brought to God. Um, either way, the sense is that these rulers' primary sin was their unjustness, their oppression of the poor and needy, which caused the cries of the poor and needy to go to God, which caused God to act not capriciously at all, as Eov asserted, but justly. And even though he's working on the national level, he works justly to overthrow and destroy them. Um, verse 29 is a very difficult verse, and it won't be the final one. But let's give it a try. Um, if God will quiet them down, meaning if he steps in, I think, to protect the poor who are crying out, who will make them cry out? The word Yarish means, uh, Yarshia is like Yarish, according to Rashi, which means who will make them make noise, which means when he steps in to protect the, the poor, believe me, no uh, powerful leader will have any possibility of overriding him. If he hides faces, Vyaster um, Panim, I think this might mean the faces of the poor and the, uh, and the downtrodden, who will see him? Meaning, uh, the governments will not have the ability to uh, remove God's protection. Uh, perhaps, uh, and this 
whole system works not only on the individual level, al-adam, but on goy also on the national level as well. Why? Mimaloch adam chanef am to keep an irreligious or, or profane man from ruling, to keep a nation from being trapped by its rulers. Um, very difficult translations, um, certainly having to do with God's uh, presence on the national stage, but the specifics, um, I simply leave a little bit with a question mark. And this seems to be the end of Aliyu's argument that uh, God does destroy kings and kingdoms, but not capriciously, but that is as just as everything else he does. Now we move on to the next three verses, which, starting with verse 31, I think are an independent unit, since Eliu now seems to be talking directly to Eov. And it doesn't, also it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the previous issue of international uh, relations. The language is very difficult, as it has been up to this point, but I think that this is similar to the confession liturgy that Eov suggest, that Eliu suggested Eov make in the previous chapter in verse 27, when he said, go around and, rep- and admit your sins. So here he says, Ki el el ha'amar nasati lo'echbol. Won't you say to God, I will bear it, that is, I will bear my punishment, so I won't be in more pain, lo'echbol, or perhaps lo'echbol, so I won't be bound further in punishment. And, and this refers to the last chapter where we said that punishments, where Eliu said that punishments are just an alert to a person that he is committing sins and it allows the person to repent from sin. So Eliu is suggesting that Eov walk around and say I, to God, I will bear the sin that you've given me because I realize that the goal of me bearing that sin is so I won't do anything, uh, sorry, I will bear the punishment that you're sending me because that punishment, if I bear it, will keep me from committing worse or more sins. Things that I could not see you taught me. If I did wicked things, I will not continue to do so. Note the word hints at the idea that Eliyu spoke about in the previous chapter, that is that God first works by sending these visions at night. So I think the sense here is that Eov should, should admit that he received visions, but he didn't see them and he couldn't comprehend them. That is, God tried to work with him in a light way. But therefore, when that didn't work, he was, a quote-unquote, instructed, Horeini, with physically unpleasant means in order to wake him up. This is still what Elihu is constructing Eov to say, and I think it means that he should say, have you, God, paid in full for everything? That is, have you paid me back for all the bad things that I did? All the things that you rejected, kima asta, that you rejected out of disgust? Because you decide, you're the one who's in charge, and I understand that if I get a punishment, that's the right thing, and I'm not the one who decides what kind of punishments or retributions a person should get for their actions. I think means, you, you know, whatever you know, you say. Meaning that he recognizes that God's visions and punishments are a the way that he speaks, and that he speaks exactly as needed to the sinner in order for the sinner to know how to do the right thing. 
In the next verse, we can tell that Eliu has started a new section, which will end off this chapter, since once again he calls on his audience of wise men. O men of discernment, speak to me, and wise men, listen to me. It seems that he is asking his audience not only to listen to him, but to confirm verbally what they hear from him. And this is kind of tough because where Eov has been asking for a court case and Eliu promised to give him a court case, it looks like the court is going on without uh, Eov. E- Eliu is speaking to his jury, to us, and Eov is sort of sitting there passively. So again, the Pasuk says, uh, Eov lo vedat yidaber, udvarav lo vaskil. Eov, as opposed to God, who, who did speak correctly in the previous verse, even though it's not real speech, it's visions, and punishments. Eov is not speaking from knowledge. He does not speak from intelligence. And Eliu now, based on that, calls on God to react to Eov and not in a very good way. Avi, yibachen Eov anetzach, al teshuvot aven. Oh, my father, that is God, let Eov be under, let, let him be under never-ending scrutiny, or perhaps let the test of Eov continue forever. Because of the answers, or Eov's answers, with the wicked men. I think that Eliu is referring to the discourse that Eov had with his three companions. And he stated at the beginning of verse 32, Elihu did, that he was angry at both of them, at the companions, what they said. And he was also angry at what Eov said as well. Ki Yosif fesha spoke the Erev Amarav La'el. Now I read this verse according to the cantillations, which separate the word Beinenu and Pesha, which results in more or less the following translation, because he, Eo, will add transgression on top of his sins. Among us he will strike his hands, which means it's a negative response to our advice of the last two chapters, and he will, that is, Eo, will increase his words, meaning negative words, against God. It's also possible to read the verse as follows. Ki Yosif Al-Chatato, Pesha Beinenu, he spoke, because he will add transgressions. Among us he will have many sins or too many sins and he will increase his words against God. But either way, the final section calls on Eliu's audience to confirm that Eov has spoken unjustly against God through all this book. And that is, to some degree, very similar to what the friends said as well. For reasons... Um, now, the reasons why Elihu believes that uh, that... Um, Eov has spoken incorrectly. He's laid out the previous chapters. First of all, punishments are not just punishments. They're, educa- they're educative. Second of all, if God controls all life, then how can you say that he acts unjustly when he could do whatever he wants? He has everything under his thumb. And thirdly, you think he acts capriciously in the world, but I'm telling you that even on a national level, he, he acts completely uh, with justice. Um, and therefore, what he's saying is that Eov has been completely wrong. He'll continue to be completely wrong. And don't forget his sarcasm and mockery. And therefore, what he's saying is if we don't continue, if God doesn't continue the punishments or the tests against Eov, that Eov will surely continue to sin. Now, whether Elihu is right or not, or whether, El, El, or whether Eov is right or not, that's up for you to decide. But in the meantime, we'll read a few more statements and chapters by Elihu.